there, I'm Alyssa Olenek, scientist, exercise enthusiast, weightlifter, outdoors lover, and entrepreneur. I believe that the extremes in the fitness and wellness industries are leaving way too many of us out of the conversation, not telling us the knowledge that we actually need to succeed in our health, our wellness, our nutrition, and quite frankly, our lives. They end up giving us black and white polarizing messages that leave us more confused than giving us the answers that we need. Through my 10 years of studying exercise science, metabolism, and female physiology, as well as exploring the outdoors and being a fitness athlete myself, I'm here to bring to you the conversations that need to be had in an industry that often is too far focused on extremes. So if you join me on this podcast, I truly believe that life is best lived in the messy middle. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. I am so excited about today's guest, Miss Emily Duncan. I've been on her podcast twice, and every time we get together, it's just a high-energy rage fest, so I will give the disclaimer that you might want to turn the volume down. Um, my, my, my editor might want to turn this down. Uh, we're probably going to swear a little. It's going to be a little intense, um, but there's a lot of good information. And I wanted to bring Emily on today because Emily is a nutrition coach. If you guys don't follow her, I feel, I, I assume everyone knows who Emily is, but cause she's like a dinosaur in the fitness industry. <laughs> <laughs> like I followed Emily when she was 19. Like I followed Emily's entire oh life. My we, fucking God, I'm like we once lifted at the same gym when she was an influencer and I was a nobody. And I just didn't say anything because I was like, that's so annoying. And now I know that that's so annoying. But Emily's a dinosaur. So anyway, I fought along with Emily for years. And now we're like, I don't know these match Taurus soul sister thing. Um, And so Emily has a lot of really good insights. And she's definitely a coach who never, you know, strayed away from her truth, I guess, if you want to call that, and using macros and a dieting approach. And even though she herself is moving away from necessarily competing in fitness, bodybuilding type uh, style shows, if you want to call that. For those of you who are not familiar, I feel like that's the most general way to describe that niche and industry. Um, But she still uses a lot of these approaches with clients in a more healthy, well-rounded way. And there's a lot of narratives currently in the fitness industry that anything that has to do with monitoring your food intake, tracking, using macros, even addressing the choice to diet, which like is, can be a choice that you have is necessarily inherent bad and wrong. It took this hyper swing. I feel like from the old fitness Instagram days where it was like, if it fits your macros, eating an Oreo filled dinner, if it fits is good for you. And maybe there's a little bit more context of where health and tracking or diet can all come together in a way that maybe will help answer some of the questions you feel like no one's really answering or talking about in the industry. And I want to say that if you're someone today who is struggling with an eating disorder, or you feel like tracking triggers things for you, or you're not in a healthy place to have a conversation, maybe just tune out for this conversation. And that's okay too. You don't have to be here for this, but there's people who want this information. And on the Messy Middle podcast, I want to have those Messy Middle conversations where we can have that today. Also, Emily's awesome and fantastic. So we have a lot to learn from her and let's get started. Hello. What the fuck is up, guys? That was a great intro. That, <laughs> I haven't been interviewed for a podcast in a while because I've just been recording my own. And so you crushed that one. But no, my I'm Leslie, super excited. My Leslie noping. <laughs> I love it. Oh, no, yeah. I'm so excited for our chat today. And I think um, something that's really important that I've had on my mind a lot lately within this topic is, for one, there's always pendulum switch, like shifts in the industry, right? Like we had the honestly the macro era came like the if it fits your macro era came after the pendulum swift shift of the clean eating era so like we went from like turkey rice broccoli and tupperware to like oh my god we're eating fucking pop tarts all day long and that thing and now we're kind of swinging a different sort of pendulum that's like okay any of this is bad 
And I think where people get really lost, I mean, there's a lot of areas that people get lost in this, but something that gets lost that's really important is typically the coaches like myself that are science-based that actually have the knowledge and information to talk about these things, they're also very conscious. And so they're not trying to, you know, trigger anyone's mental state or like, they're just very conscious of the content they create and the people they're reaching. And so they're the ones that are more likely to be quiet because they're not trying to put anyone in a bad position or honestly, like I've got a whole entire fucking client roster to run. I don't have time to argue with people on Instagram about why macros are bad. Like I just don't, that's not where I'm devoting my energy. So now what we have happening is we have people that are actually qualified to talk about these things and help people with these things going silent because they don't want to get canceled by the internet. And then who gets louder? It's like the Gwyneth Paltrow goop, you know, fucking stick a, like a sage stick up your ass and like that'll make all your dreams come true. <laughs> like those are the people that are loud right now. And so we've completely lost, not completely, but like it's become harder for people that understand the science to have a voice because people just want to shut it off all the time because it makes them feel bad. And this is not to invalidate anyone's emotional experience or their mental experience or their relationship with food or whatever it is, but there is science to nutrition and there is science that does work and that is valid and that is working within your personal physiology, whether you choose to track your food intake or not. So the basic understanding of these things it still applies. It doesn't matter if you want to do it or not. It's still working. It's like gravity. You can say, oh, I have a terrible relationship with gravity, but guess what? You're not blasting off into space just because you decided you don't want to do gravity anymore. Like it exists. So I think this conversation is really important and can, because we're also still getting the people that are working with coaches that are ruining their relationship with food. So I mm-hmm. general population, bodybuilding, whatever it is. And so it's like where, there is a middle ground. Like there's people that can track their intake and, you know, be happy and healthy about it. But then there's also like red flags that we should be looking for. Like I could tangent about just this specific topic for days, but I think the, the goal of this conversation for us is to like share with people the information that they want to know and let them know, you know, Hey, maybe this is for you. Maybe it isn't. Um, but kind of here's some of what to look for. So I'm excited to just have this conversation because I think it'll be really good. No, I completely agree. And I feel like people are slowly emerging out again and slowly like talking more about these things, like coming out and being like, here's a little bit, here's a crumb. Can, am I going to get yelled at? And then sneaking back in and then coming back out and going out a little bit. Like, I feel like I'm noticing that comeback where there are the coaches that that is what they do. And uh, there's obviously there's a coach for everyone. And that's the biggest thing is some coaches are going to fit the needs you want versus others. But like, we went through this phase where we silenced a lot of stuff. Like to the point I talked about this in an earlier podcast, I removed my nutrition templates and off my website entirely at the beginning of last year. Cause I was worried because people associate me as a non-diet trainer because I don't push mm-hmm. body changes with exercise because I'm more performance-based that I was truly worried people were going to like lash out at me, cancel me, try to put my business under because I had like templates to go along with that. And that's obviously not my niche anymore. So it didn't make sense for me to keep it anyway. But when I made that decision at first, it was like, coming from a place of being worried that I was going to get like a mob after me for Mm -hmm. offering something that people wanted when they didn't, you know, it was an option. No, I'm not making anyone buy anything. And so I do feel like we're starting to get people who are inching out again. And I think it's very true. Like, I mean, obviously I believe deeply in the science because I went to school for a hundred thousand years for it. Um, (laughs) I'm like the crypt keeper of exercise science. I think at this point, my God. Um, 
But that's the thing that I think a lot of people get lost in translation is like, you don't have to track these things. You don't have to quantify it. But I get a lot, especially because I focus more on performance and I work with women where they're like, well, I don't feel like I'm recovering or eating enough and I don't know what to do. And so you can still understand the science and apply it because it still matters, even if you don't want to quantify it or use a phone app or ever do that in your life. But understanding how these things work in your body um, mm-hmm. it's true. And there are a lot of good intuitive eating or not diet nutrition RDs and stuff like that who do a good job at still educating on how things work where obviously there's extremes in anything where it's like, let's walk into the kitchen blind, grab something and head out for the day. So like, there's definitely professionals though, who do do a good job of this. I'm not saying that. So seek those out if you need that. Um, but today we're going to be talking specifically about what these things look like for you. Um, or in general, and then how they apply to your nutritional goals if this is the route that you're choosing to take. Absolutely. So something that I think would be helpful to lead with is kind of like what I refer to as the bell curve of tracking, Mm -hmm. going from like, like Sally just walking along, you know, quote unquote, eating intuitively. And I think verbiage is really important too. I want to pause on that. When Mm -hmm. people are largely referring to intuitive eating, a lot of times they're referring to the book that was designed or written to help people overcome disordered eating. And so I think people get really up in arms about that as well. Whenever somebody talks about intuitive eating, not in that sense. So when I'm talking with clients and I'm talking about eating without tracking it, I more so refer to it as auto-regulated eating. So just like if you were to train, you know, without a specific training program, you're just training in an auto-regulated fashion. That means auto self-regulated. Um, I like so- that. I like that differentiation a lot. And like, I'm going to pause to emphasize for you all that we're not bashing intuitive eating. It has a lot of good statistics behind it. And if you want to learn more, read that book, but we are not talking about that specifically today when we're alluding to that. Yeah. So I like auto-regulated mm-hmm. eating a lot. That's brilliant. So continue on. Thank you. I've been doing this for six years. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but something else that I think is important to outline within auto-regulated eating as well, or quote unquote intuitive eating, if you want to put it that way, like, oh, I'm just listening to my body. In Western culture specifically, we are not taught about nutrition from a young age across the majority. So I like to refer to it as we kind of like have somewhat adulterated taste buds and hunger signals and hormonal profiles and things like that, because the average American is not healthy correct? Like we don't have healthy, you know, cholesterol. We don't have healthy, like cardiovascular health. We're not, you know, resistance training as much as we should be. Our diet is fairly out of whack in terms of what's considered healthy macro and micronutrient balance. So Mm -hmm. somebody that's walking along, that's never taken the time to kind of recalibrate their just entire system from a nutrition perspective, their kind of auto-regulated eating is very skewed. They don't, I think a lot of people don't understand how poorly they feel until they start to feel better. And then they're like, damn, I can't believe I ever felt that way. Yes. They don't know what good feels like at all. They just mm -hmm. think they accept that they get to feel like shit for the rest of their lives. And like, they don't know what that feels like. And I feel like it is a lot easier to know how to auto-regulate yourself when you know what good actually Mm -hmm. is meant to feel like. Oh, absolutely. Because that should be your baseline. And something else that happens too, we know this with the adaptive nature of metabolism in either direction, but what I've dealt with, with 95, at least percent of our client inquiries over the last six years with women specifically, they are not eating enough, whether it's total calories, whether it's carbohydrates, whether it's fats, whether it's protein, women in general, I would say on average come to us. And we worked with hundreds of thousands of clients over the years, eating an average of like a thousand to 1200 calories a day as adult women. So what happens in that state, we've, I'm sure you guys have like had metabolism episodes and stuff on here before we know the adaptive nature of metabolism. When someone eats low calorie for a long enough period of time, 
their hunger signaling will actually go down. You know, when you're getting hunger stimulation at the beginning of a calorie deficit, that's kind of like your body saying, hey, I'm used to operating at this higher level and now it's lower. I'm trying to signal you to bring me back to your baseline. However, we extend that deficit over the course of weeks and months, et cetera, just like how metabolic rate downregulates and, you know, hormones downregulate, things like that. Your appetite will also downregulate because your body is a brilliant, brilliant machine or mechanism, I guess, is a better word. We're way more beautiful than machines. Um, we're very delicate and like, but also resilient and nuanced and all of that shit. But your body's going to adapt to what you give it. So if it becomes used to getting 1200 calories a day, all of your systems are, it's like a dimmer switch on a light. So your metabolism is kind of like that dimmer switch when the dimmer switch is up and your metabolic rates, you know, back at a normal level, higher, things like that versus when it's dimmed down low, it's going to adapt to what you give it. So if you're one of those people that you're just walking around, you know, I'll have women come to me like the 1,200 calorie a day person just eating quote unquote intuitively or auto-regulated, AKA they're not tracking anything, but they don't report hunger. They don't report, you know, normal things that we would see reported when they're eating super low calorie because their system is adapted. Now, a lot of them will also report low energy, irregular menstrual cycle, poor digestion, things like that. But they're like, everybody's like, well, if you're eating that little, shouldn't you be hungry? No, your system's going to adapt. So getting back to like the bell curve. So the bottom of the bell curve, we have just Sally Sue walking along, not tracking anything, eating in a completely auto-regulated state. We're going to walk through like the different stages of tracking. And why I refer to this as a bell curve or as a hill is because the goal of tracking to any degree and any point along the spectrum is to work your way up and then work your way back down. So that way, when you get to the bottom of the bell curve again, and you're back in an auto-regulated state, you're auto-regulating from a better place, a place that is actually your optimized body, where you're able to listen to your body's cues. You know what good feels like to you. Like Liz said, your digestion is healthy, your performance is healthy, your recovery is healthy, and you have an improved understanding. You've recalibrated your internal systems and even like your palate to understanding like, oh, this is what good nutrition looks like and feels like for me. And I think that's a really important thing that people are missing. They're viewing tracking your diet in any fashion to be just for means of, especially manipulating body composition, um, but like manipulating performance. Think it, one thing that I like to, before we dive deeper into that, you know, bell curve analogy is making the analogy of budgeting. So people are completely fine with saying, oh, I want to have a financial budget to better manage my finances. That's a resource. That's a form of energy, right? We can make the analogy that learning how to track your intake, your body has energetic needs, just like you have to pay an amount of money, you know, for your rent, for your utilities, for this, for that. And then whatever's left over, you get to have your fun shit with. Our bodies are like that too. We have basal needs. We have essential needs. And so we have this, you know, ranging budget based on whatever season of life we're in or whatever goal we have of our energetic needs. So if we want to say, just like with financial tracking, it can become, you know, unhealthy. It can become obsessive. It can become restrictive. However, nobody's going to really say just having a budget in general is a bad thing because, oh, that's, you know, financial, like it's intelligent financial management. So I want you to think more of, you know, learning how to track your intake of almost like learning how to track your body's just energetic budget. Like it's a very simple principle. People want to get mad at that and people want to get mad at every metaphor that somebody uses that refutes what they believe. Um, but into the bell curve. So the first kind of step to tracking your intake of any kind would be just developing an awareness of your intake. So that could mean like writing out a food log, just writing down, you know, what you had for your meals, how those meals made you feel, how full you stayed afterwards, how your digestion was afterwards, how much you enjoyed those meals, et cetera. So like writing out, I had, you know, half a cup of oatmeal with 
you know, some Greek yogurt and peanut butter and then that whole situation at such and such time of day and then blah, 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 and all those other things. So that's like baseline, you know, most simplistic form. It's just developing an awareness around what you're eating. So then the next step would be, okay, let me maybe plug these into some kind of like numerical, you know, calorie system app, whatever, like my fitness pal or a life sum to see how many calories I'm eating per day. And this is where things can get like sticky for people. This is where they can get triggering for people if conversations around calories are not healthy for you. So I will provide you with that precaution. Um, but if you are somebody that you're just kind of starting out embarking on your fitness journey or whatever it is, and that feels fairly neutral to you in your body, like the idea of understanding calories, it feels either neutral or positive, not negative. Um, then I would say this is like a safe and healthy step for you. Um, or if you are somebody that you, you know, this is not for you. You could potentially have a coach calculate it and you don't necessarily have to know what the numbers are. Um, but with the second level, you're just plugging everything you're eating into a calorie calculator just to get an idea of, Hey, what is my current, you know, intake in terms of energetic factors, calories or energy. Um, they're not this big evil thing. They are something that we need to survive. And they're something that we can manipulate based on goals and things like that. Just like you can manipulate your money if you want to make a big purchase or if you're trying to pare down a little bit. So Establishing how many calories you're consuming per day. Great. Super easy. Then next, you can kind of go along with it because if you're using a calorie tracking app, most of them do track your macros as well. You can see a breakdown of how many grams of protein, fat, and carbs you're eating per day, along with how many grams of fiber you're eating per day. Some of them will give you readouts of certain vitamins and minerals in your day, like iron or vitamin C or vitamin A, or vitamin D or magnesium, things like that. So essential micronutrients as well. So that's kind of us working our way up the bell curve is okay, I'm learning how much I'm consuming per day. And then maybe somewhere along that bell curve, you decide that you want to optimize what you're doing. So within optimization, we have, you know, we get a little bit more specific with tracking. If you're familiar with precision nutrition, they kind of call it level one, level two, level three of just like how, you know, specific or granular you're getting with your nutritional targets. And so you can take a couple of options if you do decide to track calories or macros or whatever it is. The biggest, I like to think of it like an umbrella, the biggest overarching thing that is going to have an impact on things like energy balance, metabolic rate, just general metabolism, performance, recovery, body composition, things like that is going to be total daily calories. That is going to be our big king. You've probably heard this a million times. Um, and then that's, you know, top layer of the umbrella or the funnel or whatever we want to call it. The more specific we get, the more tailored it is. Now, this is where it comes down to knowing you and your preferences, yourself, what is realistic for you, what your goals are. The more specific the goal, the more specific the methods needed to achieve that goal. And that's something that I really want to emphasize for people. This goes to not only like what you're tracking, but also how meticulously you're tracking that within like caloric ranges and things like that. Um, so if you are a general population person, if you want to track, you know, all three macronutrients, which is a form of tracking your calories and your fiber, and that feels good and neutral and positive or whatever to you, great. If that doesn't bring any negative feelings into your life, amazing. Great. You can do that. There's also the option of, you know, doing total calories, protein, and fiber, and letting fats and carbs have a little bit more flexibility. The data shows that as long as we control for calories, protein, and fiber, we can have a little bit more flexibility within our carbs and fats within reason. I would not suggest going extremely low fat, especially for females and hormonal health, as that is not the best idea, um, but keeping fats and carbs in a more flexible range. So say maybe one day, you know, you had 50 grams of fat and 200 grams of carbs. The next day you had 65 grams of fat and 165 grams of carbs. Like it can fluctuate like that because calories are math. It's, it's not as reductive and simplistic as just that simple math within our bodies, but generally speaking, it does work in that kind of a way. So we have the most specific being 
total macros, so proteins, fats, carbs, along with your fiber. The next less specific that gives you a little more flexibility is going to be total calories, then having a protein goal, and then having a fiber goal, having uh, fats and carbs kind of go where they would like on any given day, then the most broad form is going to be total calories. Now, if you're somebody that resistance trains, I do, or even does endurance exercise as well. If you're somebody that exercises regularly, and I would say just general population as well could benefit from this, I would say it's going to be better for your, just how you feel and your recovery. If you are at least keeping tabs on protein and fiber as well, just because protein Mm -hmm. is really important for muscular recovery. If you're somebody that trains hard, whether it's endurance or resistance exercise or whatever it may be, you do need that for your recovery. And that's one area that a lot of people, especially females don't naturally gravitate towards in their nutrition. So having a target there can help make sure that you are getting enough. And that's another point with just any of the macronutrients and calories in general. I think a lot of people have developed a poor relationship with tracking because their only relationship to it has been from a restrictive place. There, the majority of the work that I do with mm-hmm. tracking is to ensure that people and clients are eating enough and eating enough in the proper balance for them of just percentage macronutrient distribution. So if you have a negative view of tracking, you know, quick little like crosswalk pit stop here, ask yourself, has my only relation to it ever, has my only relationship to it been from a restrictive standpoint, or has it been from a nourishment perspective, a making sure I'm getting sufficient energy perspective, and just learning about food perspective. And that's kind of where I want to pause and provide another one of the important kind of benefits of tracking is, especially again, in Western culture, we're not really taught about portion sizes. We're not taught about food. We're not taught about anything like that. Spending a period of time tracking and accounting for your food actually recalibrates like your visual ability to gauge a portion size, you know, before you may not have no idea like what even is a serving of vegetables or like what is a serving of peanut butter. There's like the whole joke of like, oh my God, I felt so fucking played when I learned what like a real serving of peanut butter was, right? Exactly. Like we have full blown adults walking around, not understanding how to nourish their body and what things mean. I think that's a problem systemically. And like at an educational level, I'm like all that I could go on that tangent for another, you know, five fucking years. But part of the goal of this is to learn what portion sizes look like for you. So that with the entire goal is to help teach it, you know, we can have goals within body composition and performance and all that stuff within this, but the big overarching goal is to teach you how to do this without numbers one day so that you can do that from an auto-regulated perspective and understand that, hey, this is better than what I was doing before. And I have a better understanding of nutrition, nutritional science, how foods work, how foods work within my unique body, what my unique needs are, what I feel best with, et cetera. I think one of the biggest problems, and I kind of just mentioned this with the conversation around macros and why people are so mad about tracking and all of this is the lens with which people are, are viewing it through, which is just, oh, you're only doing this to get shredded or you're only doing this because you're obsessive about food and you're, you don't trust yourself and blah, 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 blah. There's so many other goals. There's so many other purposes for tracking outside of just that. And so those actually really beneficial things get lost in the mud when people are just shitting on macros and people don't realize that there's actually really positive benefits to it. Um, So within, you know, kind of that curve, we work our way up, you know, we're tracking really specifically, maybe top of the curve is like, we're using macros to pursue a goal. We're, you know, trying to maybe, you know, get really strong. We're trying to hit some PRs on our big lifts. Maybe you are trying to gain more muscle. Maybe you are trying to lose some body fat, which is a completely fine goal to have. And we can talk more about that because I know that there's lots of opinions there. Um, 
<laughs> and I also think we could definitely touch on the thing about like calorie deficits actually having some health benefits as well. Um, uh, if we want to really just light people up, just get um, people after us. Guess get just them. Light I haven't the had fire. to fight the internet since I told people I was happy to have my period. So I've, I've had like a nice month of quiet. Oh, so I, yeah. I can fight again. <laughs> but you know, we use like that upper point of the hill or the bell curve to like do some goal achievement. And then maybe you decide like, Hey, I would like, you know, I've spent my time. I, I've done my time um, learning about this. I'm ready to kind of start weaning myself off. And I use that terminology versus just having people go completely auto-regulated again, because it's just like we walked our way up the hill. We're going to walk our way down. So if you, if the top of the hill for you was, let's say you were tracking all three macronutrients and your fiber intake. So you knew what your total calories were, you knew your proteins, fats, carbs, you knew your fiber. Okay. Next step, let's spend, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month, maybe a little longer than that, depending on like what pace feels good and safe for you to kind of wean yourself off of tracking. Let's go to total calories, protein, and fiber. Great. That's the next step down on that hill. Then we spend a little bit of time doing that. We get you feeling really good here. A lot of times, and I'll incorporate this within clients, you know, they're when they're being super specific, but especially as they're kind of weaning themselves off, I will start incorporating. We typically always have, you know, untracked meals in their programs, you know, throughout whatever goal they have, whether it's fat loss, muscle growth, whatever. We do keep that in there, you know, however many times a week is appropriate for that client and their goals. But especially as they're starting to wean their way off of tracking, I, the way I refer to this as like, I give them like lab days, which is, you know, we're, when we're doing our check-ins and all of that stuff, that's like, that's like the lecture, right? That's where you're learning all this stuff. That's where you're tracking all the data. That's where you're getting all the tools, things like that. And so then I'm like, okay, and we now have the goal of shifting you to a more auto-regulated approach across the board. I want you to have a full day of that. Tell me how it goes. Like describe the experience to me, you know, like if you want to keep a food log of it, let me know. Um, but just kind of sending them off into like practicing these tools in real time, but still having the support of a coach. I think that's really important to help people feel safe and grounded in what they're doing is to support them throughout that journey and like let them know, okay, hey, so we learned, we enjoy keeping our breakfast the same throughout the week because it's just really easy for you to eat the same thing every morning, but you like having a little bit more flexibility with dinner because maybe your family, you know, whatever, your partner, whatever. Um, but we have like full days in there where it's like, okay, these are your auto-regulated days. I don't want you tracking anything. And we'll, you know, increase that frequency as we go. Um, but then we maybe, so I have one client in particular that I'm thinking of. So we brought her down to this was more recent. We brought her down to just total calories, protein, and fiber. And then she had two completely auto-regulated days in her week. So we had uh, five days that were tracked in that kind of flexible, flexible dieting way. And then we had two days that were not tracked at all. And then we kind of continue working that down and we are like, okay, let's try taking like three days untracked and just completely auto-regulated and just gradually weaning people off. And then, okay, do we want to do just total calories or do you feel like you're cool with going completely on your own of just having, you know, auto-regulated eating, but with good nutritional habits that we've learned along the way. Um, and so then we monitor that for a period of time. So I, I think where a lot of people get kind of screwed by wanting to just eat in an auto-regulated way is they just jump ship from tracking and then they feel like really unsafe and like ungrounded in that experience. So that's when they just swing the pendulum the other way. And, fuck and they just go back wind. to what's comfortable, what's inherent, exactly. what, they, what they know. Like we all do that. Exactly. It's not bad. Um, I just talked about this for you guys who are listening uh, Karin Norton and I did the, the new year thing. We talked about that a little bit with behavior change and like, we do that too. I do that too. Like it's easy to go back to what's comfortable, but mm. you have to like train yourself to do the new uncomfortable thing. Right. Cause right. you can get really dependent on tracking. Cause it does, you're like, Oh, now I'm so aware. And the awareness is nice. Even if sometimes mm. it's annoying to, to have to do. Um, but it's the goal is to be able to be aware without the metrics to confirm it. Mm -hmm. And that's where paying attention along the way 
and not just looking at the numbers. I think that's something that a lot of people do too. That's kind of, you know, sets them up for failure when it comes to tracking is as they're going about this journey, all they're doing is literally looking at their total macros in their MyFitnessPal and like throwing their meals together and not paying attention to anything else. As you're doing this, we should be paying attention to, like I said before, like actual serving sizes of foods. You should be paying attention to, hey, what distribution of nutrients works best for me, like pre and post training. So I'll, you know, if I have more advanced clients that are comfortable with doing this, we'll set pre and post training meal macros to figure out you know, what distribution of macronutrients in their pre-workout meal and their post-workout, if there's somebody that an intro applies to, how that affects them, what makes them feel best and also trains them like, hey, when I go to like not tracking with numbers, I still know, I still have the knowledge that, you know, I like to have a moderate carb, you know, moderate protein meal pre-workout, but I'll do a heavier carb, you know, moderate protein meal post-workout just because that works best for me than to like higher carb, meal, whatever, like learning along the way or, you know, paying attention to how different macronutrient distributions per meal make you feel from like a cognitive perspective. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm somebody that through my work day, you know, I'm fairly inactive. I work at a computer, I'm a coach. Um, but then just from, so from a cognitive perspective, but also from a hunger perspective, I'm not super hungry. I'm not out and about. I'll keep my meals in my work day, more protein, fat, and fiber based just because I'm not particularly hungry. I'm not really utilizing a ton of carbohydrate. I keep my carbohydrates around my training window. So picking up on these pieces of data that are not inherently numerically based like yes all of these things still have calories and macros and whatever but you're learning just from a, a basic like meal assembly perspective what different things feel like to you so that way when maybe you're traveling or you completely stop tracking altogether but you still want to be mindful of your intake and eat in a way that's more aligned with the life that you want to live how you want to feel how you want to perform you have all of these tools in your toolbox that are more qualitatively based than just quantitatively yeah. So I have a few things I try to keep mental notes on during this entire time. I know. I just talked for like an hour. <laughs> I like have to like, and I should have been writing them down because I know you get me in my brain possibly. So one, something that happened this year when I hired a financial advisor, I thought that was super insightful parallel to food and tracking and nutrition coaching is that the very first thing we sat down and talked about was my relationship with money, my earliest memory of money, how I feel towards money and what money means to me and what I want my money mean to me long-term. None of it had to do with what was in my bank account or in my debt or not in my bank account or invest. None of it had anything to do with that. It was just, how do you feel? How does this make you feel? What is important to you? And I think that we forget that like we have emotional relationships to everything. I think mm -hmm. food is just magnified because we have to do it constantly. And that has been mm -hmm. co-opted in a way that is negative. But also like we see this now with like finance, Instagram, like there's a lot of really bad advice out there that is harming people too. So it's not like this is like, you know, obviously there's a lot of eating disorders and that's very real and valid, but having that mm -hmm. neutral approach to realizing that like, this is a tracking and accounting and being aware of things and anything in your life is it it's just being mindful and it allows you to know who you are and what you want and those relationships better and that helps you navigate these things regardless if it's money or food or fitness or whatever it is um so i thought that was really important and i wanted to share that because i thought that was like really cool that he sat me down and like asked me that because i was like that's like a nutrition coach asking you hey what's your earliest memory of your body or food and how does that make you feel and what do you want from that and I, and it, and it was weird because I'd never thought about it, even though I had yeah. that, I knew what it was. I could answer it really easily, but I was like, shit, I never thought about this before. Right. Mm -hmm. And how many people have just like not taken that time to do that with nutrition or fitness themselves. And then two, I wanted to add that. I think it's really important for people to realize, especially like if you have performance goals 
or you have high energy demand goals or you're doing really high intensity training that like you're not broken or bad if you don't feel like you can quote unquote intuitively eat the protein and carb needs that you need to support the activity that you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. And that's something I think a lot of people who have like, since I, again, I work with a lot of women who have like performance goals and I'm sure you do as well. Mm -hmm. We're like, this is me. I intuitively quote unquote auto-regulatedly will not eat three to 400 grams of carbohydrates while I'm training for an ultra. And I will bonk Mm -hmm. all summer long and feel (laughs) awful. and then have to order cheesy bread and wean myself back to health by Friday because my carb stores just get depleted gradually throughout the week. And I know that. I know that I do that. I'm aware Mm -hmm. that I do that. I've kicked myself for it. I've turned for too many races and I just know, but I also know now through tracking and metrics and measuring that if I don't want to track and I'm training with high volume lifting or high frequency or high intensity or running, that I have to eat and intentionally add strict carb sources to all of my meals at higher volumes, or I will not Mm -hmm. eat adequately across my day. But I'm aware of what that looks like now. And that was really hard for me, but I wasn't like naturally like, oh yes, let's smash three cups of rice with my breakfast. Like that just, that wasn't something that I naturally gravitated towards, but it allowed me to figure that out. So not feeling bad if you feel like, well, I'll never be able to auto-regulate this. Like, yes, you can You can learn, though, where you tend to slip back to your old habits and when to catch mm-hmm. yourself on those. Um, I don't, I'm sure you get that a lot with women who've, like, protein is really yeah. hard for, like, that's normal. Like, that is a normal feeling. Um, but it can help kind of give you those bumper lanes of knowing, like, okay, well, mm-hmm. if I want to reach this goal, I have to intentionally supplement every day or I have yeah. to increase here or whatever that is. And so, um, again, don't feel defeated when you're in the midst of that. Um, and you can use this as a tool as well. And I think that's an mm-hmm. important thing to factor in here and you can go through, I'm sure you do this. Maybe we can pivot into this of like season. There's different seasons of obviously dieting, maintenance, mm-hmm. increasing, but also you can go through phases of when you decide to use tracking and to seasons when you decide to not use tracking. And that can even be flexible like across days or weeks or months, like Mm -hmm. Emily was talking about having off days and like, I just went home for the week and I was tracking, but I didn't track when I was home because for me trying to estimate every meal that I eat out is just annoying. I'm just going to try to make intentional decisions that align with what I know I need. I'm not going to try to guesstimate every item on my salad. Like that's just annoying to me and doesn't feel necessary, but then I'll ebb back into it after the holidays. So it, so when I have my performance goals, I can feel good while doing those. And I think people think it's like, I'm a tracker. I'm not a tracker. I care about macros. I don't care about macros. This is who I am. This is who I'm not. And kind of Mm -hmm. being okay with that gray or probably oscillating between that second end of the bell curve that you were talking about and going Mm -hmm. up and down as you need for whatever you're working towards in that season or moment or what feels important to you. So those are my little Mm -hmm. tangent tidbits I wanted to add just to, um, you know, comment on everything Emily is saying, but I love that bell curve theory. And I don't think I've heard that yet. I'm assuming you came up with that yourself with clients. And I don't think I'm a lot of people have ever heard say it. So I'm like, yeah, hey. I think of a lot of people think of it as two buckets rather than one mm-hmm. continuous curve. And right. like I was saying, like I'm on or off. I do this. I don't do this. This is good. This is bad where it's a spectrum. It's a continuum. And at that, I like that it's a bell curve though. Cause in the middle that you know, the area under the curve, the scientist in me, like that is because the intensity or the focus of what you're doing is a little bit higher, but mm-hmm. it's a little bit less on the ends. And I think that the bell curve represents that better than a spectrum. So I love that. Um, so let's pivot then to, for people who, you know, they do have specific dietary goals, or maybe they want to lose body fat or gain muscle or 
reverse diet, which we do have a podcast on reverse dieting. We did talk about from season two, if anyone wants to go back to that. Um, but we'll, we can like talk things about this here. What are the different mm-hmm. seasons and phases and when are they appropriate? And what do you find? I kind of know the answer to this, but what do you find most people want to come in and do right away versus what they actually need and how we can mm-hmm. factor and prioritize in health as this equation, not just 2016 Pop-Tarts for every meal. It doesn't matter as long as it fits your macros, screw fiber and vegetables crowd, right? Like, well, how do we bring these to be a more holistic thing where we factor in health and seasons and all of these things that I think most people are confused of. I think by this point, people know protein, carbs, fats, deficit, excess. Like I think most people are kind of getting up to the speed unless you've been like really far in the murky of crappy information. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's this part where they're like, okay. And obviously I think I encourage you all to work for the coach to guide you through this. But I think knowing what it is and understanding it a little bit better does help it seem a little less kind of like this woo-woo mystical science where coaches are like, we do this thing with you, but you'll see when you get here kind of thing. It will all make sense. It will all make sense when you enter my layer. Look into the ball. Yes. Anyway. Um, But yeah, absolutely. So first thing, one thing that I wanted to really quickly touch on about what you just said about like, don't feel guilty if you feel like you can't auto-regulate for the specific goal that you have. I think that applies in any direction that is not just homeostasis maintenance goal, right? Mm -hmm. At least to like a large degree. If you're trying to put on a significant amount of muscle, especially if you're somebody that's what we call a hard gainer that you don't naturally gain muscle fairly easily. Um, But even if you do, especially as a female muscle is hard to build, you don't make muscle out of thin air. You need to actually give your body the things that it creates the muscle out of. Um, Or if you're trying to like lose a serious amount of body fat, both of those things, are you straying from your body's natural state or just homeostasis where it wants to sit? You know, not really a whole lot is changing. It's like, there's not a ton of waves. It's pretty like easy water, right? You're trying to build more muscle. That is going to be anabolic reactions. You're putting yourself in an anabolic state. You're trying to build things. If you're trying to lose body fat, you're putting yourself in a more catabolic state. You're trying to get rid of things. And so neither of those things building or getting rid of is staying the same. So your body is always going to fight you to try and maintain homeostasis. That's what your body wants to do. It's easy. It's really stable. And so if you're having a hard time auto-regulating when you're not just trying to maintain, that is okay that's normal. And that's where using these tools can be really helpful um, and can also keep you from doing more than you have to do. I think that's something that a lot of people miss in this conversation as well. Um, I would much rather somebody track their intake who was maybe averaging, you know, if we got them up to 2000 calories a day and we start their deficit at 1800 per day, than somebody that maybe they're averaging 2000 calories a day, but they don't want to track and they just stop eating all of their carbohydrate sources. Like that is batshit and that is going to end poorly for you and you're not going to progress as much as you could. So you were doing way more than you needed to and it actually ended up hurting you. Um, But getting into the conversation of different seasons. So we have, you know, states of change are going to be more, whether it's fat loss or muscle growth, or, you know, we could kind of lump performance growth and muscle growth in the same categories because typically when you are improving your performance, you are adding muscle tissue. Um, But any state where, you're going to need more calories to support the work that you're doing. That's going to be kind of our growth period or our strength gain period versus a fat loss period. Um, So these different states are going to require different things of you. Obviously, if you want to build or you want to get stronger, you're going to need to eat more in a general sense than you expend. And then in a general sense, if you want to lose body fat, you're going to need to eat less than you need to, than you expend to lose body fat. So something that I want to touch on with this is knowing 
what kind of content you're consuming in this context. There was a big kind of kerfuffle. Like, you know, I came from the bodybuilding world, so I still follow a lot of that world. And then I'm also in like the normal people world because uh, that's primarily where I work, where people were all up in arms about a bodybuilder, bodybuilding coach sharing that it's important to, you know, hit triple zeros across the board with your macros if you want to win. Um, and that is their, you know, personal coaching method. That is what they do. Um, I don't necessarily fully agree with that. Even at competitive leanness, I would give myself like a couple grams range and my coaches are completely fine with that. Um, but they're, you know, the, the point of this is to say the metrics and methods that a bodybuilder is going to use to reach extreme levels of competitive leanness is not what you need to do as an everyday person to lose body fat. And so you have to be able to be a conscious consumer, take a look at the content that you are consuming. First of all, if you think you're going to look like a competitive bodybuilder and you should look like a competitive bodybuilder just doing lifestyle shit, I'm here to break it to you. No, you're not doing that. You don't want, you don't, there's a lot of people that say, I want to look like a bodybuilder, but I don't want to compete. You should not, the singular purpose of being stage lean is to be on stage. That's it. And the same it. thing too, like I'm a highly muscular woman and yeah, I would love to walk around looking like a CrossFit athlete all the time, but I'm that's not practical. Like I'm not mm-hmm. going to do that. I don't, I yeah. don't have, I have too many other stressors and things going on in my life to be the leanest that I want to be. So I intentionally choose to be less lean in order to have the performance that I want along with the lifestyle that I have. Like, mm-hmm. I think people forget that they do that to everything. They compare themselves to the front pack marathon runners, to the CrossFit athletes at the games, to these stage competitors. And you're like, that's an extreme version. And there can be a version of that that fits for you. Mm-hmm. But that like you don't want to do what it takes to get there probably, or nope. it's just not necessary, right? Like it just, absolutely you, like that's their job to look like that, right? Absolutely. There is a very specific purpose for that physique or for that performance level beyond just, oh, I want to. It is quite literally for purpose of sport. Um, yeah. And that's an important like differentiation to make. And I also think it's an important differentiation to make too, like just the stereotypical conversation of don't compare yourself to anyone else. Because I think a, a, a lot of what's happened too, especially with like the intuitive eating conversation, the people that are like, oh, I just stopped tracking and my life became super beautiful. And I'm now like super lean all the time. And it just feels like that's just how I exist. Like that is very true and real for some people, but also acknowledge that those people might be people that are naturally genetically lean. So yeah. if you are somebody that you naturally genetically from like a set point perspective, you know, whatever you feel about set point theory or not, I do think people just have, you know, if you were to not monitor your diet and, you know, not really train much, people have a place where they would naturally sit once they normalize, right? So if you are not somebody that you are like naturally super lean, you probably should not hold the expectation for yourself of looking like somebody that is just genetically naturally that way by doing whatever they want. Like, I know you're all picturing the person in your mind that you're like, oh, she can just like eat Doritos and cheeses all day long. And like, she's shredded. So I can do that too. Like, I'm sorry. Like that is not how this works. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't have any, you know, fun stuff. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, achieve a body composition that you feel really great in, but just be realistic with your expectations of yourself and also be realistic. I think something that people forget a lot is aligning the protocol that you are doing with your values first, instead of trying to flip them. So what I mean here is if you have the value of, you know, having a pretty, you know, avid social life, you enjoy going out for drinks a couple times a week, or you enjoy going out to eat a couple of times a week, uh, whatever it might be. And you don't want to give that up even for a short period of time, you know, whether you wanted to compete in bodybuilding or whatever it is, like some people just for general fat loss, like, Hey, we got to cut down on the alcohol. Um, but if that's something that you are not willing to sacrifice, that is okay. 
but you need to have that clarity on your values and what matters to you most in your life beyond just your fitness goals. And you need to create your fitness goals and the metrics you're going to use to achieve them based on those values, not the other way around. A lot of people, they're like, oh, I'll do anything to lose 20 pounds. And then they go and they cut out all the things that they like, and then they lose the 20 pounds, but then they want to start doing the things they like again. And then that's how the yo-yoing starts. And they're like, well, fuck, I thought I did this thing and now it's back to where it was. So start with your personal values, what matters to you most, what is of value to you, et cetera. And that's not to say, again, that you can't go out and like factor alcohol into your intake or, you know, factor going out to eat into your intake, but just make sure that your values come first and then your expectations are in alignment with those values and that your goals are in alignment with those values and the expectations that come under it. Um, that was like a not so brief tangent on that. No, but- that's okay. That's all right. I completely agree because I think people forget how much your environment affects the choices that you make and the amount of resistance you have to push against them. And it's going to be a lot easier to change nutritional habits and choices and meals if it's working within your lifestyle rather than changing because you either have to change the entire environment or learn how to work within the environment versus mm-hmm. like trying to flip both at the same time, which I think too many people try to do, especially mm-hmm. coming into a new year. And then you're like, well, shit, I'm back to where I started in three months because you try to be something different and value something different and then start, set up an entire nutritional plan that didn't align with anything that you do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually, I have a goal setting podcast coming out tomorrow for the new year. And one of the things that I talked about in there um, is, you know, when you set a goal, whether it's muscle gain, whether it's performance gain, whether it's fat loss, whatever it is, I want you to reverse engineer that goal and go backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, who is that person? What did, what did they do to achieve that goal? What do they do on a daily, weekly, monthly perspective? What kind of time-based changes were need to be made? You know, so how did your time management need to change? How did you need to take time from other areas of your life and put it towards this one? For example, if you're running a fucking ultra, you're spending a lot more time exercising than if you're just like recreationally lifting four times a week. That is a time-based like resource. sacrifice or just thing that has to happen. It's not a sacrifice. Like you choose it. Uh, But then there's also like effort and behavioral and mindset based resource management as far as like, Hey, what habits do I need to change to achieve this goal? Like if I have the goal of losing weight and I binge drink every weekend, I might need to stop doing that. Am I okay with that? I hope so. Um, but <laughs> for a lot of reasons, yeah, <laughs> not yeah. just, beyond, not just for fat loss, but beyond that. Um, yeah. and so reverse engineering, like, Hey, what kind of time is this going to take? What kind of effort is this going to take? What am I going to have to change like about myself and how I function in my day-to-day life to achieve this? And I think the getting to a place where you feel comfortable enough with what you are keeping within your life that you enjoy, and that feels good to you. Um, but also enough of a push. I think you kind of, we've talked about this a little bit, like working hard is actually a good thing. Like it's actually good for our brains. It's good for our like mental health. It's good for our self-confidence, like having something that is enough of a push that it keeps you showing up. Like the carrot has to be dangly enough that you want to keep chasing it every day. And like, there is something to be said for the mental, like, it's not even happiness, just like the sense of accomplishment that comes so after. Doing I'm actually reading things. a book right now. I don't remember who it's by. I'll link this book, Emily's podcast, our My Mindset podcast on the show notes today so you guys can just learn all the things. But I'm reading a book right now called The Sweet Spot. And it's about Ooh. how happiness and like effort don't aren't necessarily opposite ends of the spectrum. And people like mountain climbing, marathon running, mm-hmm. doing really hard long-term things, there's actually – a certain amount of meaning. And sometimes meaning and happiness are not always the same thing. And sometimes you aren't really happy, but you have meaning and vice versa. But like, there's a sweet spot for that. Like we're not going to put our hand on the stove. That hurts. That's not fun. But there's something Mm -hmm. about those effortful chases and tasks that we derive like 
you know, it almost seems like it's pain and suffering, but it's not in the sense of like, I'm going to light myself on fire just, just to feel what it feels like. You're not going to do that, but you're going to train for a marathon mm-hmm. or maybe a bodybuilding show. And there's a sweet spot is what it's talking about. And it's analyzing that mental approach that we take um, within that. And it's really cool. And I like it. Someone recommended it to me because obviously you probably are very much so also like this when some of you might be as well mm-hmm. listening to this podcast where I take the, like I do really long-term hard goals that mm-hmm. I derive a lot of meaning from, but like they're not exactly enjoyable in the process of doing them all the time, but I get a lot of meaning and happiness from those things. And so I think there is that missing narrative of like doing difficult things isn't inherently bad and separating that mm-hmm. from the narrative, like we should overwork ourselves for companies that hate us because they don't care about us. Like that's not the conversation mm-hmm. we're having. We're not saying give in to overworking for the expense of your health. That's, that's a different conversation. Like that's, I think they're getting mm-hmm. mixed in. So after getting really muddied. It's getting muddied. We're not talking that you should work 80 hours a week for a company who pays you for 40 and hates you. We're not saying that. We're saying that there's mm-hmm. meaning and doing hard efforts, difficult efforts, going all in for a short period of time and finding joy from that. That's such a tangent, but like that ties into all of this because these things can be related to anything. It's hard and hard isn't bad. The Messy Middle Podcast will be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you confused about what supplements you should actually be taking? In a world full of juice cleanses, detox teas, fancy promises, it can really be hard to trust anything. But high quality supplements, when dosed appropriately, can actually help support your fitness goals. And that's why I use Legion. I've been using Legion supplements since the beginning of this year. And after years of never really fully committing to one single brand due to lack of transparency in their labeling, unnecessary fluff, or just reporting things as blends and not knowing what's actually my product, I finally found a solid science-based product line that fits my supplementing needs. Legion's products are 100% naturally sweetened, and my favorite part, they are fully transparent in their labeling, and they use dosages that are actually backed with what the science says you need to be effective and support your fitness goals. And not the least amount you can get away with, and not just labeling as blends, but fully transparently telling you what's in your product and why they dosed it that way. And this is huge because it lets you know exactly what you're taking and if it's actually going to be effective, and then you can know what's going into your body. My personal favorites are their cinnamon cereal whey. Yes, it tastes as good as it sounds. The mocha cappuccino plant protein. Pulse, their pre-workout, which comes in non-stimulant or caffeinated stimulant based. And Recharge, the recovery blend, which also gives me the creatine I need to move weights well in the gym. Legion offers 100% money back guaranteed if you're not happy with their products. And you can save 20% off your first order today with our code MESSYMIDDLE at checkout. That's M-E-S-S-Y. M-I-D-D-L-E at checkout to save 20% today. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm going to get like mildly meta here for a second. Like think back to like when we were fucking cavemen, like our literal job was just like hunting and like avoiding getting hunted. Right. Like that was all we had time for in a day, like hunting, making sure we didn't get hunted and like some rest and some sex here and there. Like, now we have our big fancy brains and our consciousness and our houses and our machines and our cars and our this and our that. And like, we got to fucking keep ourselves entertained now. We're not just like catching our food and like outrunning being eaten. Like we got to have shit to do. Like, I think there really is something to be said for like, Hey, we're just kind of like bored and we need, we need tasks. Like, and so working for something that is meaningful for you. Great. 
that is much better than having to like fucking run from a tiger. Anyway, uh, yes. Getting into- <laughs> Listen, I've I've seen actual bears in the wild, and I've had that natural <laughs> response that you're supposed to have to a bear <sighs> in the wild. The one that like you can't therapy out of yourself because you're wired. Yeah. Like that's a normal natural response. And yeah. I'd rather I'd rather not do that every day. Truly, I'd yeah. rather not do that every day. <laughs> like yeah. So the fact that you get to pursue goals is actually really cool and like great. Like yeah, animals out in the wild don't get to do that. But anyway. No. Um, I know you asked about kind of where people come to me versus where they need to go, like, and what they want to do versus what they need first. Um, And this is something that I have said a few times in the past and that I will continue to say is that you need to have respect for the goal that you have. And having respect for the goal that you have means respecting the timeline that it will take to achieve that healthily. Um, I am a coach and I have my coaches function in the same way that we will not put somebody in a position that is not healthy for them. So like we kind of alluded to before, when people typically come to me, I work primarily with women. A lot of women have the primary main goal of fat loss. I consider them my unicorns when they come to me and want to build muscle first. I'm like, thank you, God. I love you. I worship you. Um, But most women come into my inbox and there's nothing wrong with this. And like whole other tangent about, you know, women are told all that. If you want to lose body fat, that is your right. Okay. We're just going to blanket that right now. Um, But they come to me. Primary goal is body fat loss. They're doing, you know, like an hour of cardio, like six days a week. They're eating 1,000 to 1,200 calories a day. They're going to Orange Theory or like F45 four times a week. And their sleep is shit. Their cycles are regular. They're stressed out of their minds. They get bloated from like looking at food. There's just all of this just biofeedback stuff that is not lining up. And, but they're like, but, but they're I ready to diet, that. but they're ready to diet. <laughs> but they are ready to diet. And then I get to be the bad guy and come in and be like, No, at least not yet. And this is something that I think is really important. And the fact that like, we're still getting these inquiries, like with our primary inquiries means that we haven't made enough progress as an industry yet in this regard, you need to plan your fitness goals, like an athlete plans their season. So with athletes, you have a preseason, you have an in-season, you have a post-season, you have an off-season, those kind of things. And different seasons will require different things from you. If you are, you know, somebody that you have a fat loss goal, you need to first evaluate, like, where is your current standing? The problem with coming to me eating 1,000 to 1,200 calories a day and wanting to lose body fat is where the fuck am I going to take calories from? Like, I'm not putting you under 1,000 calories a day. That is very detrimental to your health. You're already dealing with a down-regulated metabolism. If you're having irregular menstrual cycles, that means hormonal stuff is going on. If you're having digestive issues, that means your digestive system is not functioning optimally. And it... It blows my mind that people think that it is okay to try and diet on top of this because you're getting all of these signals from your body. Your body does not communicate in words. It communicates in feedback and symptoms. That is the language. You need to learn how to speak the language of your body and what it's trying to communicate to you. All of those things are your body saying, hey man, something's not right. Like I'm stressed about something. I am not okay with something that's happening in here and I need your help. So you continuing to try and diet on top of that and just drive your body into the ground you are quite literally looking at your body and saying, fuck you, I don't care I what I want, even if you have to suffer and like hurt yourself in the process. And so, you know, a lot of what this comes down to is just an overactivated sympathetic nervous system. So when you're in a calorie deficit for a prolonged period, um, there can actually be some benefits to like short-term calorie deficits from a health perspective, but prolonged periods of calorie deficits, all the hormonal dysregulation stuff, blah, 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 metabolism, but you are also putting your body in a more sympathetic dominant state. So fight or flight, your body is sensing like, Hey, I am in a famine. Something that I think we forget because we are typically like really far removed from like nature and you know, that our, our animal bodies, if you will, people forget 
Your body doesn't know that you just want to look different in a swimsuit. Your body doesn't know. It thinks that you're like stuck in like the Irish potato famine from like hundreds of years ago and that there's actually no food available. It doesn't know that you could drive to the gas station and buy like any array that you're just in like this just super abundant land of food. Your body only knows what you give it. And so all that it knows is like, hey, I've not had what I needed for a while and I've tried to make the changes to like adapt, but I'm really fucking stressed out about this because this is not good for my survival. So especially when you're slapping all the other shit you're doing on top of it, the hit, mm -hmm. the poor sleep, the work stress, like it, I mean, I'm someone who sleeps like a champ and actually has really good like stuff and I haven't been in a deficit in forever. But like, mm -hmm. I'm so stressed to my eyeballs that if I did that to my body, it would probably just freaking just, it would just crap out on me. It'd be like, listen, oh, yeah. oh, like, yeah. no, yeah. absolutely. Then the fuck not sister. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Well, and that's a conversation that I have with clients too. When we're trying to strategically plan for a fat loss phase, when they have quote unquote earned the right to diet by taking care of their body for a long enough period of time, which also kind of circle back to you. But when you're evaluating, you know, the timeline of your goals, this is why I say be strategic about planning things. I highly suggest not trying to start a fat loss phase if you know you're about to be in the most stressful season of your life and there is a less stressful season that you could plan it into instead. Obviously, there's always going to be things that come up. There, life is always going to happen. But if we can generally try and have as low stress states for fat loss as possible, and even muscle growth, super high stress states are not conducive to muscle growth either. Um, but I would say fat loss is a little bit more pressing just due to the nature of it from like a deprivation and like lack of nourishment perspective yeah. um, and like eating into tissue. Um, but try and plan your, I always ask clients like, Hey, what are the next, you know, 10, 12 weeks of your life look like from a stress perspective? Are they pretty, you know, normal? Are we not adding any additional stresses in there? Is there the opportunity for stress to decrease? Okay, great. Excellent time. If you're about to be like trying to move across the country or like move to a different country, or like, you know, maybe it's a really tough job transition for you, or maybe you're like somebody that's like a PhD student in like the last year of their stuff, or like they're studying for comps or whatever it is. Like, probably not the best time. That is a great time to focus on maintenance and having fun in the gym and maybe being a little bit more flexible, but just mindful with nutrition. And then you can set yourself up for success for fat loss at a better time. Um, kind of coming back to the conversation about where people come to me and where they want to be versus where they need to be first. Um, we have the, you know, the reverse diet conversation. A lot of the verbiage that we've gotten into now with, uh, EDF is actually came from my coach, my assistant coach, Katie. Uh, she used this verbiage and I was like, I like this, we are keeping this and we call it a health phase. So I think a lot of women particularly, um, can be off put by the term reverse diet because they hear, Oh, that's the reverse of what I want to do. I'm going to backslide. I don't want to do it. I'm going to fight this every step of the way. Uh, when we refer to things as a health phase, it's a little bit more all encompassing. So the conversation that we have is, Hey, you know, your calories are a little bit too low for the goals that you have right now. Your expenditure is a little too high. It seems like stress is high. We've got some hormonal things that are happening. And overall, just relaying to the client that we need to spend a period of time getting their bodies into a place where they trust them again and where they feel safe. And that's going to take time. Generally speaking, we try and advise, you know, however long you spend, and this is very individually varying, you know, obviously if somebody spent like 12 years dieting, they probably don't need 12 years out of a diet, but who knows, maybe they do, um, but hopefully nobody's spending 12 years dieting, but Hey, it fucking happens. Um, but generally speaking, you know, Hey, if you spent a year in a deficit, which is a really fucking long time to be in a deficit, you need to spend a year out of that before you try and have a deficit again, your primary state of living 
should not be in a deficit. It should be at maintenance or in a slight surplus just for general health purposes. So spending equal amount of time out of a deficit as you did in one. Um, and throughout that period of time, we are strategically increasing food at an increment that feels good to the client, not just mentally, but also for their digestion, also for just making sure we're not like throwing their blood sugar all out of whack. But it typically looks like strategically adding, you know, the first thing that I'll take a look at with somebody is making sure their proteins and their fats are in a very healthy place. Like if somebody's coming to me eating super low calorie, I will prioritize protein and fats a little bit over carbohydrates just from a hormonal health perspective for women with dietary fats. Um, but typically we can get it, it fairly balanced, but we'll get, we'll start working protein up. If somebody's, you know, 150 pounds, I'm not going to try and bump them to 150 grams of protein per day. If they're only eating like 75, maybe I'll bump it to hundred and then we'll increase, you know, as we go, but gradually increasing, you know, maybe 50 to hundred calories per week. If somebody has a slightly more robust system, um, maybe a little bit more than that, hundred, 150. If somebody is super in the gutter, when they first come to me, say they're at 1200 calories, I'll try and get them up to like 1500 as quickly as possible. The only thing you have to be careful with, if you're somebody that's been in a deficit for a really long time is adding food. Isn't just a concern from like a body composition perspective. I would say the bigger concern is going to be your digestion. So we have to remember that when it comes to eating food, that is work for your digestive system to do. So if your digestive system is, you know, already stressed out from like not eating enough for a long time, and then you're, you go and ask it like, Hey, can you do all of this extra work for me now? It's going to, you know, give you a little bit of kickback. And same thing also applies in the inverse to people that are super hard gainers. A lot of times the things that is like the most, like the biggest gatekeeper for super hard gainers is their digestion. They have to push food so high that their digestion starts to suffer because it's so much work and it's so much food volume to push in there. So like the same problems can happen on both ends, but we'll gradually be increasing food. We keep track of things. Honestly, we keep track of weight, but I just use weight as a metric just like any other metric, but the biggest things that we want to see improving are your biofeedback. So biofeedback is literally just the feedback from your body. How's your sleep? How's your digestion? How's your training performance? How's your energy in training? How's your energy in day-to-day -day life? How is your mood? How is your quality of life? What's like your training enthusiasm? Like what's your sex drive? Like what's your period? Like all of these things that are just indicative of good health. And we will see those, we have like a one to 10 rating system. And then we'll let them like have a little blurb of just how that's feeling. And we improve those over time. That is some really important data that you can track yourself to see, hey, is my body getting healthier? Um, and I think something that's important to just describe within a reverse diet is a lot of people do lose body fat when we reverse diet them, but that is not the expectation. And I know a lot of coaches have speculated on why this happens. You know, we have theories about, oh, well, you know, maybe they're still in a deficit, but we have a little bit more food in there as they're working out of a deficit. So their training expenditure goes up, or perhaps it's a stress thing, you know, body senses less stress. So we drop some water weight, et cetera. There's like multiple theories of why people lose body fat in a reverse diet. We don't have data. Nobody cares to study that. Like at least not at this point in time, people are worried about like sick people and athletes and stuff. They're not, they don't care about lifestyle people. Um, but that's kind of just like what we've speculated. Um, but if that is not you, if you maintain weight in a reverse diet or you gain a little bit of weight in a reverse diet, that is okay too. I would rather see somebody gain maybe five to 10 pounds in exchange for like 500 to 800 calories of just metabolic capacity. Like that's a completely worthy payoff for me. Like, because then what's going to happen is we're going to be able to lose body fat when you want to in a healthier way. I would rather be able to, you know, have to pull off the weight that we put on, but in a more sustainable way. And you're going to enjoy it a lot more. Like you're not going to be dying. Um, so I think just having realistic expectations for your body, the frustrating part about that phase is people aren't getting instant gratification, which is what's really frustrating for people a lot of the time, especially women, you know, you want to lose body fat, losing body fat is relatively easy conceptually. Um, and it's a lot more instantly rewarding than something like maintenance, metabolism, improvement, hormonal improvement, muscle gain It's way less visible. 
And so the fact that people can't see things happening, they will put what they can't see over the improvements that they feel and get really like emotional and beat themselves up about it. But you have to be able to acknowledge that sometimes you have to put the big goal further down on the timeline so that you can do the thing to prep the preseason that you need before you're in season. And a lot of people you can't, aren't you can't that. win the championship without going to practice, right? You have to have preseason and you have to have the season to, in order to win the championship. I, I do love the periodization seasons approach and sports mm-hmm. approach to everything too. Um, but I also think it's really sad how much this is ingrained into, especially obviously female clientele is that like your appearance is so much more valuable than your health because they Mm -hmm. only want the appearance metrics and like not feel like they can feel amazing and be like, well, I don't give a fuck because I don't look any different. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. so sad because that feeling that what, that's your life. That's your ability to live Mm -hmm. life and be a person. And I think that's important to like really check in on yourself. Cause like we all feel things where we get frustrated with our body. Like we're human. That's going to happen. Me and Emily both have probably experienced that all the time ourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. But circling back to like, well, my health at four and foremost is the most important thing, not a few extra pounds. Like my health over everything is the most important thing in my life, but it can be hard to get there too. Like that can be really Mm -hmm. hard to get to that shift. Mm -hmm. And something that can also be really hard about getting health back is depending on your circumstance, you might have to be particularly particular about the things that you're doing. So you might have to like keep account of or track things with just as much diligence as somebody that is actively pursuing fat loss, because you have to be specific and gentle with your system, trying to get it to a place where it trusts you again. So I think that can be equally frustrating for people when they feel like I'm doing all this work and like, I'm not getting to my initial goal yet. Like I see you, I empathize with you. The work that you are doing does pay off. Um, now when it comes to like timelines of a reverse diet, like I said, or a health phase, it can depend on the individual. Um, but some things that I kind of look for in clients, obviously it's going to be, you know, the biofeedback improvements. Are you feeling energized? Are you having at least one bowel movement a day, preferably like maybe two, maybe three, are they, you know, a good place on a Bristol stool chart is your period regular. Are you, you know, fairly good spirits, you know, all of that different stuff. Um, but another thing that I'll look at, this tells me about both somebody's food behavior and then also like their body's resilience, like their metabolic resilience is what happens when we have untracked meals or untracked days. Is the scale popping up, you know, five, six pounds? Are we retaining water for a whole week at a time before we drop back off to our baseline? A lot of times that can happen with people whose metabolisms and systems are super downregulated. They get, you know, a large influx of calories and their body fluctuates a lot. Or it can indicate, you know, hey, somebody has a a relatively poor relationship with food and they're kind of retreating to last supper mentality when they aren't having to track things or they're just like so deprived and so hungry that when they're not tracking things, it becomes a free for all, like almost from a frantic perspective. So it can indicate, you know, just like metabolic resilience, but then also where that person is at with food. Um, Some people are, and that's where like tracking data as well is really helpful. You establish what is a normal fluctuation range for you. Like if you know that your normal fluctuation range, when you have like a higher sodium, higher carbohydrate, higher calorie meal is like a couple pounds. Cool. If stuff starts fluctuating like mad and you're not doing anything crazy, hmm, potentially something to look into. Um, But that's another area where like just data points that people tend to demonize. People are like, oh, weight means nothing. This means nothing. Like "Eh, it can have some meaning. Um, But that's another thing that I look for is just like the mental and physical response. Meaning isn't like you're a good or bad Mm -hmm. person. You gained or lost weight. It can be multiple. It can be an indication of how like something else going on in your body. Um, Weight Mm -hmm. is not just fat. I think that's where that differentiation Mm -hmm. comes between people is like, it's oh, not yeah. weight isn't fat and they forget that. Um, but your body mm-hmm. has like multiple compartments. Like it's not just yeah. fat and muscle tissue. Like your body, oh, your yeah. organ I mean, sacs, your beautiful liquid blood fluid filled <laughs> organ sacs have so many more things to them. Right. 
right? And like, even, you know, I know for myself, if I have a super mm -hmm. heavy leg day, I will be up a little bit in the scale the next day. I didn't gain body fat from having a super heavy leg day. I'm more inflamed from having a super heavy leg day and the recovery process involved in that. Um, so I think a big drive home point for this entire conversation is the willingness to look at data, whether it's just general scientific data or like your personal data from an objective standpoint, which is really difficult when it's us and our personal bodies, but we get so emotional and so romantic about like our scientific bodies. And I think that happens because we can't fully separate our emotional body from like our biology. They are mm -hmm. intertwined and interconnected, but I think we've kind of swung the pendulum a little bit too emotionally. And so we're unable to look at just the objective data as objective data and like what that means for us. And then we can't use it. Like the ability to use data for ourselves, that's empowering. Um, so we've gotten a little too emotional about like different goals and like different, what different things mean and things like that. And that's where you have to know yourself and be able to be super honest with yourself. I was going to say, I think it's important. We talk about this in the mindset new year's podcast that I'll be releasing mm -hmm. as well. Is that your thoughts aren't always your truth. Your thoughts mm -hmm. can just be thoughts. Like they don't have, you don't have to say like this voice and this idea or this emotion or this narrative that I'm telling myself is truth. You can say that's there. That's a thing. Mm -hmm but I'm not going to listen to it. That's, that's, that's just, that's anxiety or that's a lie or that's some other thing that someone once told me that I don't have to believe. And that applies to everything, not just these, mm -hmm. these things. And so I think having that neutrality towards those thoughts and being like, okay, I'm having this thought and I don't like it. And it makes me feel bad about these things, but also like, it's just a thought. It's not truth. It's not anything more than that. I can change how I respond and react to this is a really powerful thing because this mm -hmm. applies to training too. Sometimes I think if we can parallel things to training, it becomes a little more yeah. neutral because exercise isn't as emotional, right? Mm -hmm. I missed my bench reps like six weeks in a row. I missed, a, I missed, I could not hit my targeted sets for weeks on my bench. I just wasn't having good bench workouts. But at mm -hmm. the end of the day, my bench has gone up this block, right? The objective is true. We just found my limit. We were just pushing too far past my limit, but I didn't feel bad about myself. I was just like, okay, well, what do I need to do to improve? Like, I'm not like a horrible lifter. I'm not going to fail. I'm not getting weaker, but how can I respond to this saying, okay, well, what am I doing that's off, right? That's causing me to miss my, my reps or are we overshooting what I'm capable of doing right now rather than just being like, mm -hmm. well, I'm a shitty lifter and I suck and I deserve to never train again. Like that, that could be my emotion. Like I, I was, I'm like, you get frustrated when you miss lifts so you can't do things yeah. um, or whatever with training. I think that's a good example. Just like missing reps can really get into your head. But like at the end of the day, I chose not to listen to the shitty lifter. I'm a piece of shit narrative, which I didn't really have. I'm pretty neutral, but I could have had that in a hypothetical mm -hmm. land many years ago. I would have had that narrative. Um, but I'm still going to PR next week when I max out because I decided to not let anything else, like the little hiccups and mental games get in my way of continuing forward or assessing or things like that. And so I just like using training because I think a lot of people can relate to mm -hmm. exercise and people definitely get emotional with their exercise and that's very real, but I feel like it's less volatile in our own brains. Um, it's mm -hmm. easier for us to wrap around adaption, stress, recovery, even though the same basic physiology is driving nutritional stuff. It just, it's mm -hmm. just a little more neutral and less personal. It seems. No, that is absolutely correct. And I'm so glad you said that because it's so true. Like I remember back when I Olympic lifted, literally fucking like missing a lift, throwing the bar on the ground, yelling like fuck. And then like walking out of the room, like, but then I came back and it was fine. Somebody yeah. has like a day where the scale's up one pound, it ruins their whole entire day. And yeah. I think 
another thing that's kind of happened at a collective level, not just within the context of fitness, but within the context of a lot, kind of a culture we're in where it's like, don't work hard, just let yourself rest. Like, oh, you're fine. It's okay. Like, yes, it's okay to rest, all these things. But we've lost the ability to be radically honest with ourselves. Like how many people would not be willing to say, you know, my work ethic's not been what it should be to reach the goal that I have. Like we have this inability to reflect honestly on our, not just our experience, but our performance. And it's almost like having an emotional response of like guilting and shaming ourselves. And I'm not invalidating those feelings. Those are very powerful feelings that have really negative side effects. But I think getting so wrapped up in the guilt and the shame of not meeting a something or something not going the way that you wanted to and staying in that emotional space versus trying to then evaluate, okay, objectively, okay, why didn't that work? What things weren't happening from a non-judgmental place in that emotional place, you don't have to move forward. Like you said, I could just earn the right to never lift again because I'm mad. You can stay yeah. in that little puddle of discomfort versus when you step out of that and you say, now let me honestly evaluate what did and didn't go well. What do I need to change, et cetera. Then you almost like you have the tools that you need to do better and move forward. So, you know, if you don't, that's on you. But if you never even acknowledge those things, you just get to continue blaming external factors or just wallow in self-pity and like do nothing. So and I think the, sorry, the biggest oh, no, things that yeah. I think is that that disappointment comes from one, not keeping promises to ourselves. And it feels mm-hmm. really shitty because you can't even yeah. rely on yourself to do what you do. And I joked on Instagram yesterday, I said, I'm calling 2022 the year of radical self-responsibility. Cause mm-hmm. that means that obviously like within certain circumstances, there's people who obviously can't just like be like, Oh, I'm going to change the situation I'm in. But for a lot of us, the things that we're frustrated with is us getting in our own ways or it's mm-hmm. us being the problem of something down the line and taking that responsibility of ourselves to like do that and keeping promises to ourselves and taking care of ourselves. And that doesn't always mean pushing. I think people forget that rest is important. Stress plus rest equals growth, but you just can't only rest and equal growth. Cause if you replace the stress with zero, you have mm-hmm. nothing you have. It actually, you lose adaptations. Like your body is just responding to whatever adaptations you're giving it usually. And so you get more mentally resilient or more fit or more lean or more muscular from giving whatever it is in your life that you're giving that stressor. So your body is going to adapt to it. But, but you rest has to be part of that equation that you need rest for mental fortitude mm-hmm for muscle gain, for fat loss, for fitness adaptations. Like you need days off. You need vacations and seasons. Like no one's saying that you need to be pushing hard 24 seven, but you can't remove stress from that equation. Um, So you have to get real honest Mm -hmm. with yourself about why you're not doing the stressor that you need to do in order to get whatever side of the equal was ever Mm -hmm. on the equal sign that you're desiring to get. And I know that you have very similar approaches with your own goals Mm -hmm. and everything like that. Um, With that being said, though, I think before we wrap up, this is going to be a hard pivot, but I think I want to have this conversation with you is you have shifted from the bodybuilding type stuff to kind of what you're, I know you want to get more into performance stuff, but you're rehabbing an injury right now, but you're getting a little bit more into like, you've been taking care of your health. You've been taking care of some injuries. You've been kind of doing this foreground work for something Mm -hmm. moving forward and like how that's been for you, maybe going from a lifestyle that's been a little bit more strict perhaps with maybe like nutrition and dieting and going through shows and you coming to peace with being done with that. And then Mm -hmm. what that has looked like for you moving forward personally and your, I guess if we want to call it our fitness journey, the journey, (laughs) and we all love to call it the journey rather than just like, this is your life and you're doing it and making choices that fit along the way. Um, we're journeying to death together with our nutrition goals. I'll just blast off into my existentialism. It's fine. Just blast (laughs) off into our existentialism. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, no, I'd love to talk to you more about that because I think that's mm. important for people who have watched maybe you or have gotten really hooked into that. Like I have yeah. to be a bodybuilder to be fit and lean and healthy and that there's, you can pivot out of that and mm. what that looks like and kind of why you've made that transition in your life. Yeah. So I guess starting with the why of why I made that transition, I was just, you know, at the end of my season last year and we're like almost yeah, it was last year. Um, I was like, what, where is time? Um, but I remember I just had like this really unsettled feeling like within me, I was, you know, in season, I was nailing all my protocols. Like things were, you know, I was doing the stuff, like I was doing everything that I needed to do, but I just didn't. And like, I was competing and like, when I'd be at the shows, I'd be super happy and love it and all this stuff. But it just like, there was something that wasn't quite right. And I hadn't been able to put my finger on it. And then one day I was, on a flight from, I, I think I spent three weeks back to back traveling for shows and it was my final week for that week. Um, and I think I was coming into my last show. Like I literally realized this right before my last show. I was just, I journal a lot when I'm on planes. That's where I have like a lot of my best thoughts. And like, as cliche as it sounds, Freed Up by Russ came on. And like the opening line is, I'm freed up to do what I please. I love it. Listen to my spirit and my heart. I got to trust it. One thing that I know is that I don't know nothing like jumping off the cliff. I'm jumping. And I was just like, I just had this moment where I was like, we need to evaluate. And I started like writing out. And the first thing I wrote out was like, how many weeks, this was in November. It was how many weeks since August have I been out of town traveling for shows? And I had been gone over half of my weekends traveling for competitions and shows and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, makes sense that you're exhausted. And then I was like, just writing. And I was like, why do you still want a pro card? And I couldn't come up with an answer. That was just because I haven't gotten it yet. And it used to mean so much to me. And like, I also come into this fully acknowledging that it could mean something to me again one day. I think that's something that people need to acknowledge as well as like people are malleable. And if they change in one direction, they can change back in the other direction if they want to. But in that exact moment in time, I was just like, this doesn't mean what it meant to me before. And I have, I could feel, I remember writing, like I can feel the pull of other areas of my life, just wanting my attention um, like my business, you know, my family, things like that, because I am somebody that I cannot compete in something just for fun. Like if I'm going to compete in something, I'm going to be fucking good at it. And I'm going to give it my entire life. Like that's just can't, how I am. wired. To ever feeling that way ever. <laughs> no, <laughs> never at all. Um, and so I was like, in order for me to give these other areas of my life, the focus that I want to give them, I need to, in my own brain, be committed to not competing, um, whether that's ever again, whether that's in the near future. Like I just need to, in my mind, flip that switch of like, okay, we're not doing this. And once I had that realization, I felt so much peace and it was really like the perfect setup. You know, my mom was going to be there. My dad couldn't come cause he was watching the dogs, but like my best friend was going to be there. You know, my coaches were going to be there. Like all of the people that really mattered to me to like watch me compete we're going to be there. And so I was like, you know, if this is whether I, you know, get it or not, whether this is my last time competing or not, if this were my last show, I would be okay with it. And I was able to like have that moment of closure of just deciding. Cause I think something that was really hard for me, um, I grew up in a dance background and when I stopped dancing, I didn't know that I was going to be like stopping dancing forever. And something that never really fully like sat well with me was like, I never got to, you know, have my last dance, so to speak, and know that that's what that was. Um, and so the fact that I was able to go into that competition weekend and be like, this is it, I'm going to give it everything. And literally when I was up on stage, like at finals that night, like I obviously didn't say anything, but in my mind, I was like saying, like, I was like looking at all the judges, and I was like saying my goodbyes. And like I said, my goodbye to the stage. And I was like, I'm done. Like I did my wave. And I was like, it was very like symbolic for me. I was like, okay, we're like, we're good. We're freed up to do what we please. We love it. Okay, great. Um, and so 
in that transition period afterwards, there's been like a lot of just experimentation with just how I want to train now. I got into Legree, which is like a resistance-based form of Pilates and like just enjoy that as like a fun way of training. I know that it's not the same as resistance training, but it's just something that I've enjoyed. And I think it's made my core stronger and just helped me get in touch with like different muscle areas and just like points of tension and things like that. Um, I got into ballroom dancing because why not? And then that's how I tore my hamstring actually. So then I was like, fuck. Um, and then now getting, then I kind of got back into Olympic lifting for a little bit, but my hamstring got too bad to the point where I had to like start resting it again. Um, if you aren't familiar, I have an Olympic weightlifting background from like a couple years ago. I was never particularly great at it. I'm not, I'm five, nine, I'm not built for strength sports. Um, <laughs> I am long. Um, but then kind of now like doing PT rehab for my hamstring, um, I'm actually getting into like more kettlebell work and what we could consider, I guess, like functional type movements. So a lot of like unilateral, a lot of mobility based, a lot of just movement health based work. Um, and so it's been really awesome to see just from a personal perspective that, and I, you know, I always had faith in myself within this, but it's just like, you don't know until you're in practice with it, that I did not need the goal of competing to get me exercising or to get me loving training or to get me just loving movement or caring about my nutrition. I care about all of those things in the same like capacity, just with different goals than like stepping on a bodybuilding stage, you know, before my entire motivation for, you know, training or like my main motivation for training was like, I'm building the physique that I need to have, you know, to compete or like I'm preparing myself to compete or, you know, whatever it is. And so now it's just like, no, I get to like move my body and take care of my body just because I want to, and because I enjoy it. And because I love the body that I'm in and I want it to be around for as long as possible, like as painlessly as possible. Um, so it's been like really cool to experience that because I spent, you know, seven years bodybuilding and having that being my main focus. Um, and then from like the nutrition side of things, it's been like awesome in the sense that like, I'm getting to experience what it's like to kind of be more like one of my own clients since I coach exclusively like lifestyle and performance-based people versus competitors. Um, you know, experiencing what my clients experience on the nutrition side of things like, oh yeah, I can, you know, go have, you know, whether it's, you know, a week on vacation in Mexico or, you know, my friend's bachelorette party or like Friendsgiving and like, you know, I can not be as responsible with my nutrition as I normally am. Like I can be a little shit on occasion and that's okay. And like, even when I'm being a little shit, it's better than being a little shit than I was before, but I'm just like not caring about things as much. And like my body is resilient and it's not as sensitive to that. And like you bounce back fast and all of these things. And so it's been just a really cool experience and also really empowering in the sense that like, yeah, I can do whatever I want to do. I just have to decide that I'm going to do it. And the passion for the doing it isn't any less just because there's not a stage-based goal attached to it. It's just passion for passion's sake. I think a lot of people probably need to hear that because um, obviously like a lot of my listeners are also in running and they feel like if they don't have a race and they can't be, they can't run, right? Or mm -hmm. you have to do a powerlifting meet or you have to do an Olympic weightlifting meet. And I've been Olympic weightlifting for the last two years. And like I did a competition earlier this year and I'm going to do one for fun in January at like our local gym thing. But I didn't get into it because I wanted to – I don't want to be a competitive Olympic weightlifter. That was never my goal. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I just kind of wanted to learn and do this thing just because it's it's fun and, and I wanted to do it. And I think people forget that you don't have to compete in something to do something, but also you could just value things for what they are. But most of all is that fitness can be flexible. It can change mm -hmm. with time. Your goals can shift. And, like, you can try new things or – you can make it like what you want. Emily's doing Pilates and ballroom dancing and weight training together, which is like mixed modality fitness instead of pegging into a hole. And like obviously mm -hmm. being in bodybuilding served a wall in your life and you had to be more all in. That's a more extreme version mm -hmm. of like having to follow a specific type of training and nutrition where now like you're like, you can make what fitness or health or whatever it looks like to you. And it's not that 
radical that those things can coexist within each other and that you can mm-hmm. find things that you enjoy and love while also still doing the things that you know are important for your health, right? And that you can have that shift without having to identify as one thing or compete mm-hmm. or belong. Like those things can be your own and for you. Um, especially I love that like you came to peace yourself with that decision. You didn't even tell anyone. They didn't even know oh, no, that that was your last time on stage, nope. right? Nobody knew yeah. until after the fact. That's how I do things though. I'm just like, it's not your business. It's my business. I don't want your opinion. I'm going to fucking do it. And then you'll hear about it later. And like, I think something that's really important too, for people listening, there's like the common rhetoric of people getting out of bodybuilding and then just shitting on it. I still have so much admiration and love for the sport. Like if I ever decided that I wanted to do it again one day, I could like, just because I'm doing something different now doesn't mean that I have to hate what I did before. I actually have so much love and respect and admiration for the version of me that was able to do, you know, 17 bodybuilding shows or 19 bodybuilding shows. Like that took a fucking lot. And I've learned an immense amount from her that's translated into every area of my life, especially business. So just because you're shifting or you've, you know, kind of let something go doesn't mean you have to hate that thing. And doesn't mean that you should like, you can just move on. Like, bam, it's crazy. And it's, it's crazy. Like I took a, I mean, I obviously still weight trained while I was training for those ultras, but I took that period of time where like I ran like so many ultras in such a short period of time. And while I was still resistance training and I was still strong and still muscular, especially compared to a runner, I definitely took a step back from being as extreme with my weight training because I just needed Mm -hmm. that. Like it was too much. And I was sick of people identifying me as that. And like, it was like, I I was all people valued for me was that I was strong. And I was like, well, Mm -hmm. there's more to me than this. And I want to go do these other things and I can make that choice. But then I kind of, I did, I came back to weight training in a way where I love it. Right. I'm almost as strong Mm -hmm. as I once was before, but I've made it on my terms. And I'm actually doing the other things I love alongside of it, where I didn't think that was possible before. I thought I fell into the box Mm -hmm. and the rules. And I love that. And especially, I think you probably can relate to this as me. And I had this conversation with my brother last weekend. It's like by sharing our lives on social media, like I have to check in with myself a lot to saying like, if my life wasn't on social media or people weren't watching and this wasn't my job, what choice would I be making? What would Mm -hmm. I be doing? Because it might've been better for your business for you to have continued to compete. Because I know like people Mm -hmm. love watching the dieting and the prep and the, that, all that stuff. Um, but like, I have to do that a lot with myself where I'm like, okay, like would I make this choice? Cause right now it'd be a smarter choice for me to train for ultras. Cause my people love mm-hmm. watching the ultra training, but for me, it's not a good choice right now to train for an ultra marathon. And I have to like, be like, okay, I'm okay with this choice for me right now. That doesn't mean I can't come back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you have to like weigh any of those narratives within yourself of like having a hundred thousands of people who have opinions on your life and what you do? And like, how do you come to terms, I guess? Like, as I think people don't have social media followings, but they worry about what people are going to think about them in their lives when they make mm-hmm. these choices. And like, how did, obviously you and me have a lot more people with a lot more opinions about our life, but even for people on their day-to-day lives, if they're shifting goals or focus, do you have any advice for them to coming to terms with like, making decisions for their own health or fitness or life or hobbies or whatever you want to call it on their terms without that judgment of regardless of what other people think or feel they should do. Mm -hmm. Oh, hell yeah. So I have a lot of experience with this being an internet dinosaur doing the shit for seven years, going through a lot in front of the eyes of a lot of people. And I've gotten really good at that kind of self-evaluation and like even when I was prepping for shows I would like keep it quiet for the first little bit and like I wouldn't announce my show dates and people would ask and I'd be like I'm not sharing it so like and so because that's for me it's not for you and anything that I choose to share is by choice and so kind of a lot of where that came from was you know I started out on social media 
largely as the bodybuilding person, you know, my following started to build as I got into bodybuilding. That was, you know, around like 2014 ish. There's some people that have actually been following me since 2013, which is really crazy. Cause that's like the early, early days, like my college dorm room. Um, but like 2014 to 2016, really heavy in, into competing. You know, I went from like having, you know, just people that lived in my hometown following me to like 200,000 followers in like that two year time frame, And it was largely based on competing. Then late 2016, I got breast implants. And then from, you know, that point up until I had them removed in 2018, I got really, really sick. I was one of the people that, you know, dealt with, if you want to refer to it as breast implant illness or not, or just having a negative reaction to a foreign item in your body, whatever. Um, I went through a lot of negative health stuff. And so what that resulted in for one, I couldn't compete for that amount of time. Um, but I went from being like super shredded chick to being over 200 pounds. Like that was in front of everyone that was following me. And what I learned in a very real way within that time frame, and then coming out of that. So then, you know, I got my breast implants removed, got healthy again. Um, you know, I lost a lot of that weight naturally. And then obviously prepping for bodybuilding shows again, um, lost additional weight, like to do bodybuilding, whatever in that time frame, when I was super sick and when I was, you know, what we could classify as overweight, like I was not at a healthy place for my body in terms of composition. Um, there were people that would comment on my shit that would literally say, we know you know how to do cardio, Emily. You might as well just start doing it. Like that kind of stuff. Um, so being in a larger body was not acceptable for them. Before that, when I was super shredded, because I was competing, and that's the means that reaches the goal, everybody wanted to slap me with an eating disorder. I remember one of the first hate comments I got was like, because I would eat cream of rice every day, I had an eating disorder because I like to eat cream of rice every day. Like, makes sense. Um, so, you know, that's not right. And then getting healthier again, and not dealing with mental illness, you know, the same way that I did when I was super sick, I was chronically depressed, like severe depression and anxiety, like panic, all that stuff. And I was like open with sharing about my mental health. When I got healthier again, and I was happy, I would get the comments of you were a lot more relatable, you know, in they would refer to the time period when I was sick. And I was like, that's really offensive. You're saying that I'm a lot more relatable and, you know, enjoyable to follow when I'm sick. And like, I'm questioning whether or not I want to be on this planet. Cool. And so like, what that really showed me was, I could be in any position anywhere, like anywhere on that spectrum and somebody would love me for it and somebody would hate me for it. The exact same position. And that can apply to you in your regular life. Like you could be anywhere on the spectrum and you could encounter whether it's a friend, a family member, stranger on the street, grocery clerk, whatever that like loves or hates you and what you're doing. And that for me was really like, okay, no matter what I do, Somebody will love it or hate it. And that doesn't matter. I think being able to assign equal value to external distaste and external praise is important. So it's not just like, oh, I only take the good comments and none of the bad. Like you need to give them like the same kind of value. Like that should not influence your decision if somebody is overly positive about what you're doing. If you want to say the negative does not matter to me and what I'm choosing to do for myself, then you got to be able to say the same thing about the positive. It's okay if the positive feedback makes you feel good. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you shouldn't just be doing something because other people are giving you positive feedback. So you have to be able to like really sit and reflect and ask yourself and like think about the life that you're living and ask yourself, is this thing that I want to do or that I am doing in true alignment with the person that I want to be, the person that I am trying to become and just the life that I want to live, regardless of what anyone else says about it, is this in alignment with who I want to be? Because at the it sounds so stupidly cliche, but truly, first of all, at the end of the day, it is nobody else's life but yours. And secondly, and this is a really beautiful thing, it sounds kind of shitty, but like nobody actually cares that much. 
nobody cares more about what you're doing for you than what they care about what they're doing for themselves. So like you think these people like care all that much about, you know, your life or what you're choosing to do with it. And maybe some people care more than others, but at the end of the day, you know, you make that choice and they're like, Oh, cool. And then it doesn't affect them. Or like for me, if I, you know, chose to compete again, sure. There's going to be people like cheering me on. And like, you know, when you do well, people are like commenting on your stuff and they're like super excited about it, but then they go about the rest of their day and they don't give a fuck. Like you have to be the one that gives the most fucks about what you're doing. If somebody gives more fucks about what you're doing than you, that's a problem because then you're giving your power away to people that are in no control of your actions or your outcomes. So a lot of it does just really come down to, and I know this sucks to hear because we all want a support system and we don't want to be told what we're doing sucks. And like, we want to, you know, have people interested in what we're doing and all that stuff. You have to be able to be so clear and honest with yourself and just say, who and what am I doing this for? Like, what is the goal of this? And if it's not for your own fulfillment, you know, obviously we can do things like for the betterment of others, but when it comes to like your personal goals, like if you want to get strong or you want to lose body fat, is it truly for you? And if not, Mm -hmm. that motivation is going to run way dry, way faster than your own motivation will. And motivation runs dry anyway. But if you're doing something for somebody or something outside of yourself, most of the time that is not a strong enough why to keep you at it on days when it sucks. And like you can't guarantee those people are going to be there to cheer you on when you win or to like pick you up when you lose. So you can count on you and that's it. And so just really get in touch with, you know, hey, who am I? What do I want? What are my values? What am I doing this for? And I think that's a great just tie up of everything we talked about today. And I could give 101 stories of my own, but I will spare you guys all the pain you all know my life. Um, But it's really true. And I know for me personally, like I really only value the opinions of very select people. Like people are very polite and if they come, they're like, I'm so proud of you. I'm like, I don't need your pride. Like I'm not doing this for your pride. Like it's sweet and whatever, but I'm like, I don't, I don't need that. And at the end of the day, like when I graduate my PhD and and I defend, the internet's going to be up in roars and they're not going to give a shit that I'm Dr. Alyssa Olenek. But like that's for me and mine for the rest of my life. And like nothing will get you through those long-term hard goals or phases than wanting that for yourself. No one's going to want the things you want more than you. And if you do things for other people, you're never going to, you're going to feel like you're failing yourself. Um, but you're always going to come up short from what you're doing. So whether that's dieting, nutrition, health, fitness goals, whatever that is, I think like, I'm really glad I, you know, had Emily speak to that. Cause I think a lot of you relate to like changing, especially in our twenties where things are so fucking messy. And then someone's going to mm-hmm. message me about this podcast and be like, well, when you're my age, this and that, I'm like, but we're, we're learning and evolving and let us learn and evolve publicly or within our friends and families. Like it's okay to change your mind and your views and what you want, but you don't need to make those choices for your future based off other people's perceptions because everyone's going to be have an opinion no matter what you do and everyone's going to project their own shit no matter what you do and everyone's going to think that you should live based off their worldview and you can't you can't let that dictate because you'll constantly be pulled in so many directions you really have to focus on and figure out what do you want and like what do you want your life to look like and what are those actions and obviously Emily and I have a lot more people with things in our life but those people that are close and personal can almost feel more strongly like a parent or a friend or a family mm-hmm. member than a stranger who's like I don't like that you're doing this and you're like okay cool see you see you never you're insufferable um and those opinions can weigh heavy so they're just as valid if not more and so mm-hmm. I encourage you all especially as we wrap this up and you go into changing nutrition or fitness or any of these other things in your life whatever they look like is you know maybe leave this podcast and take a really hard audit of like what do you want to do for you? 
what goals do you want for you? Like if fat loss is your goal and you're coming to Emily for coaching and you're like, I want to lose fat. Do you actually want to lose fat or do you just want to feel better? Do you want to feel more confident? Do you want to be healthier? Or is that just a goal that someone else told you you should do and vice versa, like for anything that you have. And so I think that's a great tie in for the end of this episode, um, which was fabulous. And I'm going to run out of camera minutes. So I'm going to have to cut cut things off here, but I want to thank Emily so much for being on. Um, if you guys haven't, Emily has a really fantastic podcast with tons of information as well. I will link her Instagram. I will link her website. If you want her and her coaches or people that I refer out to all of the time is part of my like roundup of coaches that I suggest or think are, you know, worth your time and money since I don't do nutrition coaching. Um, I will link my other podcasts and episodes as well as, as Emily's that are relevant to what we talked about today. Um, and I will also link my macro calculator that I have in the show notes, um, because I use like equations that won't starve you out. If you just want to get an idea of where to start, you're not ready for a coach, but you just need an idea of like how much food looks like. Cause I get a lot of messages of saying, Oh my God, I didn't know I could eat this much. And I've been eating this much and my workouts are great. And I feel amazing. And I'm like, great. That's exactly what that resource is supposed to do. It's supposed to give you kind of like a, a wake up call. But, um, otherwise I really encourage you to pursue nutritional coaching. If that's something you can afford or you can find value in, um, if you are struggling with these things, we've had other fantastic nutrition coaches as well on the podcast. You know, if Emily and her team aren't quite right for you, we do want as coaches, I'm sure Emily can vouch for this. We want you to find a good fit for you and what you want and who's going to help you succeed. Not everyone's approach is going to be for you. Not everyone's programs for you. There's more than enough help to go around. Um, we don't want you as clients if we can't help you. Um, so go mm -hmm. seek out and get curious about what you want and who that can help you with that. Um, moving forward. So I want to thank Emily so much. I feel like this was our most tame conversation. I know, like I, I'm not sweating. I feel good. I I'm normally like sweating by the time we're done, but no, I, I think we we were serene. In fact, we, we were. We were just calm, and it's almost like we're just calm, helpful, nice ladies. Who would have thought? Yeah. We just are really passionate, and we just want you guys to live happy lives for yourself. And we happy, get happy about it sometimes. Lives, yeah. I get really. I people on the internet think I'm yelling all the time, and I'm like, I'm literally not yelling at my followers. Or they're like, you're arguing with me. I'm like, no, I'm literally not. I'm just like. It's just how I talk. Please stop thinking that I'm yelling and arguing. I'm just, this is how I communicate. Um, what if you were a man? That's a whole oh, other conversation. I, I wish that it wasn't copyrighted or I put the Taylor Swift song over the exit <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> so I actually did a thing, fun note, we'll end this on this. For the Love whole it. month of October, I replied to my Instagram comments the same way that Jordan and Austin from Barbell Medicine reply to people in their comments. And without fail. Cause I love the way they reply. I have a ton of respect for Jordan Austin. I think Barbell mm -hmm. Medicine is just fantastic. I think highly of all of those, the men in that, in that niche. And I, I did that just for fun. And people either unfollowed me or got really pissed at me every single time I replied to a comment like they do. I did it. It was just my fun self experiment to see if it was like, I was going crazy. Cause I was doing a thing for a while there. I was practicing yeah. being nicer. I was intentionally going out of my way to bend over backwards to be nicer. And then once I lost mm -hmm. my Instagram, I was like, fuck this. I, okay. I'm going to lose my Instagram for doing nothing. So why am I going out of the way to stop people from like getting pissed at me? So I just started yep. replying to people like men for a few weeks and people were fucking pissed. Because oh heaven forbid a woman says, look in the caption, listen to the episode. Like, did you read the post? Did I say that in the post? Like, I didn't say that exactly like that, but I would be like, hey, that's like, like that, it was answered there, things like that. Man, people do not like that. So yeah, that was a fun little experiment that I did in October. I backed I like it off because I just don't like dealing with chaos if I can avoid it on Instagram. Um, but yeah, so if I were a boy, <laughs> I so, think I could understand. Yep. Yes, yep. yes. All right. Well, on that note, 
I will bid you adieu, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Finally. Um, it was lovely as always. Someday Emily and I will meet in person and we'll document the whole thing because it will be an epic clash of intensity. Um, it'll be something great. <laughs> it will be fucking amazing. There will um, actually be a seismic event in the It'll be hilarious because I'm so small and Emily's so tall. It will actually just be incredible. And the whole thing. Someday it will happen. It will happen. It we will. got really close one time, but you happened to be out of town when my brother lived in Columbus. And that was mm-hmm. the universe didn't want that to happen. But no. <laughs> on anywhere. that note, everyone. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Messy Middle Podcast. If you like this episode, please consider rating, reviewing, subscribing. It helps so much. Um, share this to your Instagram story. Tag us. Tag your friend. Share it with someone you love. That helps the podcast grow. Um, follow Emily if you haven't been following her since the dawn of time of Instagram and when it existed. Um, she does have a lot of really helpful information and content, but also more of that lifestyle stuff that I refuse to share with you that you demand from me. Emily's really good at that. So go follow her. Go follow Emily for passionate advice. Do not follow me. But Emily has a lot of her own unique diversity to her content in her feed that goes beyond these things because we are multi-passionate people. Um, So if you enjoy this episode, tag us, follow us, share with your friends. I hope you found something insightful um, from this and I will catch you next week. Until then, stay messy.